0: Of heights, to the depths of the
1: sea. Jesus he rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe the, them with the towel which he was girded.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor and Teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus completely gave Himself to washing their feet. First, He rose from supper. Then Jesus laid aside his garments, which had to remind him of what waited for him in just a few hours, when he would be stripped of his garments and be crucified. Jesus then took a towel and girded himself. Finally, Jesus poured water into a basin. If Jesus wanted to just display the image of a servant, he would have had a servant or one of the disciples do all this preparation work. Instead, Jesus gave himself completely to this work as a servant. Thank you, Jesus, for your steadfast love for us and for showing us true servanthood. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: That God, he would indwell us by his spirit. That's something that the church has that wasn't true before Jesus was born. The spirit came on people and then left. But to have the Spirit indwelling us, that's something that the church has come to know and to understand and to have the privilege of, the down payment, if you will, the earnest of our expectation until he comes to redeem our physical bodies and change us and bring us up to him to meet him in the clouds. So notice verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. The supper, obviously, that is spoken is the Passover Supper. This was the lamb, the bitter herbs, and the and the unleavened bread, commemorating the Passover, which we read about in Exodus 12, the night that the children left Egypt, and they sacrificed the lamb, and they put the blood of the lamb on the lentils and on the, door, on, the on the lentil and on the side posts of their door. Anyone inside would be would be kept alive. And the firstborn of anyone, any creature, any man in all the land of Egypt who did not have, who was not inside the house where the blood was applied, the firstborn would die. And so, and then they left that evening, in the middle of the night, they left Egypt. And this Passover meal is the commemoration of that event when the deaf angel passed over Egypt to bring judgment upon Egypt and their firstborn. And this is the last Passover meal that Jesus would have. And notice, the devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot. See, prior to this, chronologically, we have to understand, and Luke tells us about this in his gospel in chapter 22, verse 3, that Satan had entered Judas when he had conspired with the chief priests and captains. How he might betray him. So this was, you know, now we're going back in time. So Satan had already done this. Because it tells us in Luke, uh, going back in time here, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they had feared, for they feared the people. And notice what it says then Satan entered Judas. He entered him, he possessed him. And it tells us in this very chapter that Satan entered him again. So, you know, can you imagine? Yes, Judas, a disciple of Jesus, being possessed by the devil. The devil entered him. It tells us twice in the scriptures that he, he did this. Not a demon, but the devil himself. You know, I can't get my mind around it. You know, I don't have any idea what this kind of thing is, and, and I don't want to know either, to be honest with you. But most people think that when somebody is possessed by a devil, that they're going to walk around disheveled, and all of a sudden, for some reason, they're going to have this really dark countenance and, you know, kind of look like that and have this horrible face and blah, and, you know, you know, the boogeyman kind of, you know, and maybe even have a little tail with the thing and the pitchfork and the pointy ears. You know, that's all myth. <laughs> In Second Corinthians, what does it tell us? For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Nobody knew this. Even when Satan entered Judas, the only one who knew that was Jesus. All the disciples were like, they didn't even know why he left. As as we'll look, they didn't know why he left that gathering that night. And he was going to finally betray him once and for all and lead the chief priests and 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 the guards to bring and come and capture him. The other disciples were clueless. They thought to themselves that Judas was a great guy. I mean, after all, he held the bag of money for them. They all thought he was an upstanding citizen, one of them. There was nothing in the external that made them think, oh, the devil's in him. There was nothing like that. Kind of changes your attitude, doesn't it? Because I think there are people in this world that are possessed by the devil or demons. And yet you look at them and you're like, wow, they, they, don't, they dress nice, they talk nice, they're very well educated. Man, some of them are even good looking. The devil could care less about the outward package. In fact, he loves it. When we focus on the outward package, then he he has that even that much more way to get around us and to deceive us. When the Antichrist comes on the scene after the church is removed, he will, be, he will seem to those of the world to be the most logical. He'll seem to be sensible, intelligent, practical, spiritual, and probably a handsome devil, pun intended. And this is why the disciples... Didn't think anything of it. But Judas was a thief. He was a betrayer, despite what the movies say about him. um, He is a a, a liar and a robber. It says in John 12, verse 6, that he, he didn't care for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. And Jesus knew about this. And yet he made him the guest of honor at the Passover meal. Why is that? Because Jesus loved him and gave him every opportunity. Doesn't God give us opportunities? If He really loves us the way He says He does, does He give us every opportunity to come to Him? And maybe you're here this morning or watching online or listening on the radio and you're thinking to yourself, God can't save me or I'm too far gone. Hey, listen, God gave, every, God gave Judas every opportunity to come, but He would not. He would not. He shunned Christ's overtures for salvation and forgiveness. And Judas right now is in hell. And he will spend an eternity in hell. And many have asked the question as we read this, you know, can a believer be possessed by a demon? The answer is no. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You can be messed with, and I've been messed with, And you have been messed with, and we will continue to be messed with until the Lord comes for us. He can't possess you. He can't have you. But what he can do is tempt you, and he can oppress you only what God allows, but he cannot have you. Didn't Jesus say, if, you're, if you are his, you are in the palm of his hand. Nothing in heaven above or in earth beneath can pluck you out of my hand, Jesus said. So if that be the case, we're secure in our salvation. But we are going to be, if we're not careful, we can allow our guard to go down and we can f- find ourselves in a net and, and doing things and saying things that we know we ought not to. And are we finished at that point? Is Jesus going to say, you know what, you messed up too many times, I'm done with you? no. He'll say, confess your sins and be restored to me, and then move on as if that never happened. (laughs) Wow. Is your forgiveness really that wonderful? Yeah, it is. We like to kind of hang on to our sin, even though we know we've forgiven, we've been forgiven. We like to hold on to it for a little while and beat ourselves up a little bit. And then in a couple days, we feel like now we've earned something. Maybe we've earned it. Well, let me tell you something. If, If you've got to go through that to feel good about yourself again, You don't understand what happened on the cross. I mourn when I sin. Everybody does, but don't hang out there too long. You've been forgiven. And if he chooses to atone for that sin, which he has, and you confess it, then why are you still wallowing in that pool of misery? Honor what he did and say, I'm done. And move on. And if you do it again, you confess it. And you ask for the gift of repentance. And you get up and you move on. Don't stay wallowing in that pool. But can a believer be possessed? No, I don't believe they can. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 22, it says this, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed. He was blind and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw... And all the multitudes were amazed and said, "'Could this be the son of David?' And then when the Pharisees heard it, they said, "'This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons.' But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, "'Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, "'and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. "'If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. "'How will then his kingdom stand? "'And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then who do your sons cast them out?' Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? Satan here is the strong man. But guess what? Jesus comes because he is more powerful, and he takes over. And that's what happened with this demon-possessed man. Now, this is an unbelieving man, an unbeliever. But the Spirit of God indwells us. So is there anybody more powerful that you know of that can come and take the place? When you're king, when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, when the Spirit of God has indwelt you, is there anyone big and bad enough to take him off the hill? Don't think so. It's not going to happen. Do you believe that? I don't know, do you? Yes, he is. I mean, is God all-powerful? Is he more powerful than Satan? Of course he is. Satan's a created being. God is all-powerful. Because greater who is he that is in you than, than he that is in the world. He that is in you is the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. So was Judas a believer? No, he wasn't a believer. That's why he was able to be possessed by Satan himself. Satan himself. Can you imagine? I can't even I can I never want to understand that. But verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Notice Jesus came from God the Father. We 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 have looked at this as we have gone through the gospels and as we have gone through this in John. We know that he was the word of God who, who was there in the beginning. He became flesh. He had, his origin is from outside of eternity. Isaiah 57 says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That's speaking of Jesus. Daniel speaks of this kingdom when Jesus returns in Daniel seven twenty-seven. that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. It's never going to end. It never had a beginning. It never had an end. Jesus is king over all. Can I get an amen? Amen, Amen. he is. And rejoice in that. And notice verse 4, back in our text. Jesus, he rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. One thing you have to understand is that in this culture... A servant of the host or the host himself, if necessary, would usually do this. When you would come in from a, uh, into a meeting like this, a dinner, the host or a servant would take your sandals off because they didn't have socks, they just had these sandals, and so they would walk all over the rugged terrain, in the mud, in the dirt, in the dust, and so your feet were a mess by the time you got to somebody's house. And they, your servant or the host would take off your shoe take off your sandal, and they would get a basin of water and they would they would put your foot in the water and they would scrub it with their own hands and they would scrub it in between your toes and get off all the muck and all the mud and all the dirt and all the stuff on your feet. And they would do that to refresh you. It was a hospitable thing to do. And in, in fact, when, when, when this didn't happen, it was a breach of hospitality at this time. You remember when David, uh, King David, when he brought Abigail. Remember, Abigail was the the wife of Nabal up there in Carmel, and um, Nabal wasn't so courteous to David. But the bottom line in the end of the story, end of the event, uh, David brought, after her husband died, after Nabal died, David brought her unto himself. And it says that When Abigail came to David, it says, When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose. Notice what she did. She bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And this is a very practical custom. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, um, in verse 40, we find that Jesus, going to the house of a Pharisee, his name was Simon, And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman who was there at Jesus' feet, and she said to Simon, so she's looking at; he's looking at the woman and addressing Simon. And you can see the picture. And he says, I, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And therefore I say to you, her her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so this idea of washing the feet, anointing with oil, was a custom. It was expected. It was hospitable. It was the right thing to do. And so Jesus now... Verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Do you remember the, the layout of the table? Jesus was the, get, the host, and then Peter was on all the way on the other side. He was supposed to be the servant. He was supposed to be the servant. Perhaps Peter was confused by when Jesus did this, because things are out of order here, Jesus. You shouldn't be the one doing this. If there's anyone in this room, it should be the servant. Oh, that's me. Oops. So Peter is thinking to himself, "I probably should have, could have, might have, should have done that, Lord." And the Lord doesn't upbraid him. And Jesus answered and said to him, "What am I? What I am doing to you now? You don't understand now, but you will know after this." You will understand what I'm doing. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Jesus would wash the sin of man. And that's really what this is all about. It's about what Jesus was going to do and the humility that Jesus was doing in serving his disciples. And if he, being the master, is willing to serve those who are under him in a sense, how ought they to do the same thing? And so there's a double meaning here. Number one, he would wash them from their sins. Just hours from this moment, he would certainly do that, fulfilling many prophecies. But he's also telling them, hey, guys, if me, the master, am willing to take the place of a servant, ought you not to as well? Shouldn't you serve one another? Shouldn't you love one another? Instead of arguing about who is going to be the greatest, In 1 John, it says, But if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yes, he is going to cleanse. He has cleansed us, and he cleansed them as well. And Simon Peter said to him in verse 9, Lord, not only my feet, but wash everything, my head down to my hands, everything. And this is very typical of Peter. Peter was very impetuous, Peter was a hothead, Peter was one of those guys, he was like a type A personality. He was the one who spoke before he thought. Anybody feel that way? You speak before you think. It's like Tourette's syndrome. You speak and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That happens to me. And I think the older I get in the Lord, the more I'm becoming more aware of what I think before it comes out of my lips. I'm being a little more careful than I used to be because I realize that words are very important. With a word, I can bless you, and with a word, I can cut you. We can do that with one another, husbands and wives. With a word, we can encourage. And with one word, with one look, with a nonverbal communication, I can say to you, I am not happy with you. How important are words then if even our nonverbal communication gives us away, right? So important. But even though Peter didn't understand this, he wasn't going to miss out. Whatever this was, he's like, if I if if you don't do this and I don't have any part in you, then just wash me. Do a do a, a, a you know a super kiss. You know plus you know take me down to super, you know Delta Sonic and let's let's do the whole thing. Take me through that thing where they you know clean on the white the tires and the rims and all that. stuff. I want want the whole shebang. Lord, just do it all now. <laughs> and I love that about Peter. He was just so sincere. He was sincere in his love and his devotion to Jesus. But he, like many of us, we just don't understand our own selves. We don't even know our own limitations. See it is possible to be sincere but be sincerely wrong. And we can also be sincerely unaware and overconfident in who we are and what we do. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Verse 10, and Jesus said, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And boy, does that start something. Not all of you are clean. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. See, we are completely clean. And the disciples there, except for one, was completely clean. And they only needed daily to confess their sins. So when Jesus said, you are not clean, he was referring to Judas. Judas was not a believer. He was not a believer. In fact, in John chapter 17, which we're going to get to many weeks from now, it's Jesus said, Those, in Jesus speaking to the Father in his prayer, he says, Those you gave me I have kept. None of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. What scripture? Well, Psalm 41 verse 9. David, even when he wrote this psalm, he was probably thinking of Ahithophel, this this man who he looked up to, who was a great counselor to David. But David was also prophesying of Judas betraying Jesus because he said in verse 9 of Psalm 41, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you.
0: That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John.